and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last week I uh, was talking a little bit about Timothy and the relationship between Paul and Timothy as we ended up his first, Paul's first epistle to Timothy. And as I said, this week we begin in, into his second epistle. Paul is writing this from prison yet again in Rome. And in actual fact, this will be his last imprisonment. He will be taken out from here and beheaded as a Roman citizen. He suffers the death of beheading rather than crucifixion. But he writes this letter, so it is his last letter, to his beloved Timothy. And I'm going to do a little bit differently today. If you want to follow along with your bulletin insert, kind of going to go through that a little bit. Uh, We see, first of all, that Paul, at the very beginning, sets out the foundation of his apostleship. And first of all, he states that it was by God's will. It was nothing that he had done. It was no work of his. It was nothing that actually, because he was a persecutor of the church, but it was by God's will that he was called into this apostleship. And it was for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So the purpose for this calling, for this apostleship, is the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. It was, le- it was to him to proclaim that promised life in Christ Jesus alone. And then he continues on. And we learn about his relationship, a little bit more about his relationship with Timothy, who he considers like a son, a beloved child. And he remembers him in his prayers with gratitude. Uh, So Timothy, Paul has been mentoring Timothy, and it's with gratitude. So there has been this relationship that Timothy, although being mentored by Paul, is also a support to him, an encouragement to him in his ministry. There's a dual nature to this relationship for which Paul offers up prayers with gratitude. And then we hear that Timothy cried at his mentor's last departure. And so Paul longs to be reunited with this younger man who he considers his own child. He longs to see him because he knows that were he to see him again, it would bring much joy to Paul and evidently to both of them. But in actual fact, he was never to do so in this life. But he and Timothy, even now, are in the presence of their Lord. And so as he's writing to Timothy, he's reminded of Timothy's faith, a faith that began in his grandmother Lois, in his mother Eunice, and now Paul says he is sure is alive in him, is living in him. And because of this faith, he encourages him to fan into flames the gift of God, a spiritual gift that Timothy received when Paul laid hands on him. Um, We continue to lay hands on, bishops do, in the church. They lay hands on lay people at the time of confirmation so that they are strengthened in their faith to receive more strength in the spiritual gifts, to receive spiritual gifts. 
our bishop lays hands on those who are to be ordained as deacons so that they become a deacon in the church. Bishops lay hands on priests so that they become a priest in the church. And then bishops gather together and lay hands on a priest who is consecrated bishop. It comes back from the biblical scriptures that this is what happened. So Paul had laid hands on Timothy, and at that point in time, he'd received a spiritual gift. And he's encouraging him to fan it into flames. Evidently, whatever the gift was, and we don't know what it was, has been dampened. It is the flame has been reduced, possibly even to embers. It might have been like Paul had a gift of evangelism, a herald he calls himself. It might be a gift of teaching and preaching. It might be a gift of leadership. Um, He's always encouraging young Timothy, who doesn't have an awful lot of self-confidence, to be strong in the Lord as he leads um, a congregation in Ephesus. Whatever it is, it's possibly um, that he is fearful of uh, persecution, which is why the gift that is within him has been dampened. Um, He's possibly even ashamed of his mentor who is in prison. There's a certain stigma about being in jail, although Paul doesn't feel it. And so he continues, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us. Uh, There's sometimes the temptation when we've received a gift, a spiritual gift of God, that initially we're completely dependent on God's power to work through us, uh, work through that gift. And as we go along in life, sometimes we start resting control of that gift for ourselves and don't give it over to the Lord. We don't surrender our lives and the use of that gift to the Lord and try and do it in our own strength. And then certainly that gift diminishes if we think we can do it in our own might and our own strength. For, he says, you you must do this because God has called you, he says to Timothy. God has called you into this salvation life, into the new life of life in Christ. It is he who provided salvation for you. And in calling you into salvation life, he's also calling you into ministry. In other words, there's nothing that we have in and of ourselves that recommends us to God. It's God's choice. Uh, You've heard the saying, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Uh, If you're ever feeling called into a ministry and don't feel that you're equipped, don't worry. If God's calling, he does the equipping. And it has to be that, otherwise we think we're doing it in our own strength. So Paul goes on, he didn't call you because of anything you've done, Timothy, but by grace, it's just a gift. 
There is nothing in any of us that recommends ourselves to God that we should receive this gift. It's just a freely given gift. And the gift is the birth of God the Son in human form, his death, resurrection, and ascension by which we receive the gift of immortality because death has been abolished. True life has been ushered in. And that's the gift we've been given. And that's the kernel, the crux of the good news that Paul has been proclaiming. He's been proclaiming it in season and out for 30 years. For 30 years, he has held the faith, he has looked straight ahead, and he has proclaimed this gospel in season and out, shipwrecked, beaten, jailed, betrayed by friends, and yet he has never taken his eye off the prize to proclaim to all the good news of Jesus Christ and the new life that is received through him. And it's because of that proclamation that he is even now in prison and will go to his death, still proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord and there is life only in him. He's not ashamed to be in prison because he has a rock-solid trust that God who saved him and called him to be an apostle will be able to guard all of his ministry. All of those 30 years of ministry, Paul is not worried. He can move forward knowing that God has it. He has absolute, solid trust that God will be able to guard And he says, Timothy, you're to have the same kind of trust. Hold fast to sound teaching, even if it means you end up in prison like me. Don't waffle on the sidelines of teaching just because you're pulled hither and yon with the words of the culture or the ways of the culture. Hold to the sound teaching that you learnt from me. In the church, you'll hear sometimes people say, Paul to Timothy and Timothy to others. It's this mentoring. It's that Paul, old in the faith, is mentoring up Timothy in the ways of ministry. And then Timothy hands it on to others in the Ephesian church. And the others hand it on to yet others. And that's how discipleship works mentoring others, and they mentor others all the way down to the current age. But Paul has entrusted him with sound teaching. But he can only do this because the Holy Spirit lives in him and will help him. He will never do it in his own strength. We never do ministry in our own strength. If we think we can, we will fall, and we will fall hard, and we will become burnt out. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, the the laying on of hands, the gifts that we've received through the Holy Spirit, the sustainer. Some of you were uh, brought to Christ like Timothy, 
by a a grandmother or a mother or a parent or a a grandparent or even a, a godparent. And some, like Timothy, had Paul in your life to help you along your faith journey. But it had to become your faith. It could be theirs if you were baptized as an infant and they'd made very serious vows to raise you up in the faith. So the faith surrounded you, in a sense, as you were young and you were raised up. But at some point, it had to become yours. And for some people, that's the, you can't tell a specific time. It's just that you were baptized, you were raised in the faith, and eventually, gradually, you knew Jesus in a personal relationship, and you never thought about it. You just kind of continued to deepen your faith route. Some might have been baptized as infants, but had walked away from the faith um, as teenagers or going off to university or whatever it was, And then maybe somebody else brought you back into the faith and you made it your own. There are still others, others of us, who wandered in wastelands for a long time until we allowed ourselves to be found by the hound of heaven who was always, always following after. And then made the decision personally to allow Christ to be our Lord and Savior and to follow him. In whatever way we come to faith, ultimately it cannot remain second-hand. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. Faith has to be our own. We can't expect that a spouse's faith or a parent's faith will sustain us through life. Faith eventually has to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who says of himself that I am the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the difference of our faith. That's the difference of the Christian faith. It's not a long list of rules that we're supposed to follow. It's not a long list of do's and doubts. The Christian faith is faith in a person, a person who is both God and man. And it's a relational faith. It's a faith with Jesus Christ who came, died, rose, overcame death, and it invites us into that same new resurrection life. The disciples in today's gospel ask Jesus to increase their faith. They've just, uh, Jesus has just told them how many times they have to forgive people. And realizing maybe that um, that's a difficult thing to do, they ask Jesus to increase their faith. But this is how Jesus responds. In a way, he's saying, you don't need great faith. You need to focus on a great God. In other words, faith is this window through which we look to see the greatness of God. 
God's greatness doesn't change. We might have a big window or a doorway of faith that we look through and see God. Others might have a really small window of faith. It's the same God. It's the same. He has the same power, the same love, the same greatness, the same sovereignty, whether or not we're looking through a huge doorway or a small hole or a pinhole the size of a mustard seed. God is always God. So nothing relies on the size of our faith. It relies on the God that we see through the eyes of faith. It's his power, his might, his love. Of course, the enemy throws up obstacles in the way for us to trust this God. Just in the case of Timothy, uh, we can become afeared or even ashamed. You maybe have in your life, I certainly do in mine, uh, friends from way back who look at me and, and say, are you seriously following that superstition? Um, aren't you smarter than that? And there's an attempt to make us feel ashamed of our faith. And then uh, there's the fear factor as well. Or we can look at what's happening in the world, the violence, the evil, the destruction, and we can get so focused on that that we forget to focus on the greatness of God. It's what's happening with Habakkuk. He is, he's, he's looking at all of this destruction, and God replies to him, There is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. The righteous live by their faith. And the psalmist exhorts us not to fret because evildoers. Not to fret about those who prosper and succeed in evil schemes. Of course, we can't know the greatness of God. We can't know the power of God. We can't know the unfathomable love of God. Unless we get to know him. And how do we get to know him best? But through his word... And the witness of others who have walked the journey or are walking this journey of faith. It's why being in a Bible study is so critical in our lives. Otherwise, we can make God into an image of ourselves and find him not able to deal with what's going on in the world. If we've made God into our own image, well, that's certainly a very small God. But we only know the greatness of God when we dig into and delve into his word and he reveals himself to us. Greater and greater because it's not a dead word. It's a living word. And so however long we have been on this journey of faith, There are always new things that God reveals to his children about himself. And he continues to reveal those 
year after year after year. There's a spiritual pride that says, I know my Bible. I know my scriptures. I don't need to be part of any Bible study. But spiritual pride is a sin. We all need to be continually in his word. So that even if we have a pinhole of faith, it sees through to a great God. He says, even with that faith, you can say there to that mulberry tree, move from there to there. Not because of the faith, but because there's a great God behind there that you are speaking to. So I encourage you. We have lots of opportunities to be part of Bible studies here. And if you can't make any of these, then get together with one or two or three other people and get into a study for yourself. Because it's never about the size of our faith. It's always about the greatness of God who we look at and we won't know him unless we delve into his word. There's only one time that we will know him fully as we have been fully known. And that, the promise is, when we step through the veil, that you will know him fully as you have been fully known. So I pray with the psalmist that you would take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before him. Wait patiently for him. And he will give you a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And you will begin to know the greatness and the power and the love of our great God. Amen.